Hello, this is Tom McSweeney and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is the Maritime Ireland radio show about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. The sea around our coastline, the inland waters, our lakes, rivers and streams are all part of Ireland's marine sphere and vitally important to this island nation. A fundamental part of Ireland socially and economically because our connection with the sea is as old as time itself. So on Maritime Ireland we discuss and report on all aspects of the marine sphere, bringing together the maritime community. It's good to be a member of a community and everyone is welcome to join the maritime community. Welcome aboard. Maritime Ireland is broadcast on 18 radio stations around Ireland and on podcasts. Ten days into a new job isn't a great time to be faced with a massive problem, but that's what's happened to Brendan Byrne, a new voice and a new presence on the national fishing scene. Chief Executive of the Irish Fish Processors and Exporters Association, he's facing further trials and tribulations ahead for the fishing industry. Our sector, be it the processor or the producer, has had no visibility of the body of evidence against us or the reports that were compiled by the different agencies that led to this draconian decision. Let's see the charges against us. The issue is the European Commission's allegation that the Irish fishing industry can't be trusted. We'll be hearing his response from the industry and what happened when its representatives met with the Minister for the Marine and his officials. And we'll hear about a special denizen of the sea, the Ligon called Grania, the great fish of the sun, which is back in Irish waters. The Irish Basking Shark Group suggests that the time is right to afford basking sharks legal protection under the Irish Wildlife Act. Simon Barrow will tell us more about the wonderful basking sharks. And as summer approaches, we discuss something to look forward to. 50 suggestions for things to do by the sea. The fishing industry, whose trials and tribulations we've reported on following the Brexit debacle and the big loss of fishing quotas as a result of the government being overruled by the European Union and getting a poor deal compared with other EU states, now faces an even worse scenario. Fishing catches have been weighed at factories rather than when landed ashore in ports. Eight other EU nations have the same arrangement as Ireland called a derogation, which helps fishing fleets and maintains catch quality. But, based on an audit carried out three years ago, the European Commission has accused the Irish industry of the risk of fraud in how weighing is carried out and withdrawn the derogation for Ireland. This will affect all fishing boats from the largest trawlers to the smallest. It's seen as an allegation of distrust by the Commission where the industry is concerned and it has been vehemently rejected. The industry is particularly angry that the Commission, the Department of the Marine and the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, responsible for fisheries control, have not disclosed what actual evidence of fraud they have. 
Brendan Byrne in Donegal is the new chief executive of the Irish Fish Processors and Exporters Association. As a newcomer to the scene, he was at an online meeting with Marine Minister Charlie McConnellogue, also from Donegal, and his officials about the issue, and he told me how it went. We discussed the matter in-depthly. We articulated our views and the concerns that we have for the shellfish sector, the whitefish, and indeed the pelagic. Whilst they listened, they contributed nothing new to the debate. Uh, They clearly told us that the solution to this problem is working in partnership with the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, and that they, as the political heads and the permanent heads of the department, won't be getting involved in the process, regardless of how much it impacts on the sector across the various levels. So that leaves the industry generally with a pretty major problem. It leaves the industry in complete chaos. And uh, right now, as I'm speaking to you, the whitefish sector and the shellfish particularly are in absolute chaos because the traditional patterns of landing and getting their stock weighed is now completely rejected by the Sea Fisheries Protection Agency. There's a transition period between now and the 1st of June in which we must put in place new weighing practices, quite literally, at every pier and have that certified by the NSAI and by the SFPA. So we have a very short window of opportunity to undo the work practices that have been in place since 2012 and between now and the 1st of June put in place a whole new regime on an interim basis that will lead to a transitionary period. And yesterday we met with the SFPA on that matter. Uh, They informed us that after the interim period, a transitionary period would uh, come into play where these new codes of weighing and new regimes of weighing would be supervised by them and in turn the SFPA and the new weighing regimes would be supervised by the EU over a period of time and also during that period of time a second EU audit would take place on Ireland. So we are in a state of absolute chaos where totally lacking clarity and it's going to impact on our fishing sector after having the bombshell of the Brexit. So we're in a very bad space regarding fisheries. And this means new equipment obviously uh, to be installed, uh, technology is needed. That cost, is that going to accrue directly to the industry as well? Yes, the department and the SFPA are attained that It's an obligation on us, the producers, to put in place the control regimes, providing that they are certified by the NSAI and the SFPA. So all costs fall back on the the Irish fishermen. That's not acceptable. But what's more worrying to me and to the sector, and I've consulted widely with the sector, is that these new practices that they're now bringing in will involve fish being boxed, de-iced, re-boxed, weighed, and there will be periods which there will be waiting for perhaps if you're under a control um, way whereby you could be waiting for an SFPA officer. So there's absolutely no clarity, and as you appreciate, there's no code of practice either for time delays or time restraints in getting this done because no such document exists in the SFPA. So there's far-reaching and wide implications that are going to impact on the processors, uh, not least of which the, the, the importance of retaining the quality of the products that, that we process. 
how do we compare with that situation in Europe, Brendan? Well, six other states have derogations similar to us, but and this is a fundamental point that we should have said at the outset. Our sector, be it the processor or the producer, has had no visibility of the body of evidence against us or the reports that were compiled by the different agencies that led to this draconian decision. So we're working completely in a blind where a decision has been taken by the Commission on foot of reports, on foot of uh, an administrative inquiry, but none of us have seen that. Obviously, there is information contained in that that has led to this. We need to see that because the body of information that was collected by whomsoever has had devastating effects on the Irish fishery sector. We need full visibility of that because this is going to impact every level and every sector of the Irish fisheries in the next two years because one thing that came off the meeting with the Minister, there's going to be no quick fix and this is going to be a long, slow slog back to normality. Is it to some extent like a conviction without seeing the proof? You know, it, it, it's devastating, notwithstanding all the negative leaks that we have seen in the various publications. That's damaging to the body of the Irish fishing sector. We've built up a, a terrific market share, and then you have these leaks, uh, you have this body of evidence that no one has seen, but it's been compiled by someone. It's led to a decision by the Commission to revoke our control plan, but yet no one knows what we're accused of. And I, I for one, in regard to the Irish fish processors and exporters, we can defend our record in all our plants rigidly and robustly, and we will do that. But let's see the charges against us. Brendan Byrne, CEO of the Irish Fish Processors and Exporters Association. Another Chief Executive, John Lynch, at the Irish South and East Fish Producers in Waterford, Dunmaurice being the main port there, called on the Marine Minister to make the strongest possible objection to the Commission and inform them that it is customary, in law, to present the evidence before passing sentence. Minister McConnellogue said he's precluded from getting involved in these matters under the Sea Fisheries and Maritime Jurisdiction Act. Dr Susan Steele, chair of the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, said that the accurate weighing of catches remains the responsibility of the fishing industry. She's leaving that position in September to become executive director of the European Fisheries Control Agency. It's one of the great aspects of Ireland that nowhere is more than 70 miles, that's pre-kilometres measurement of course, from the sea. We Irish like to go to beaches and thankfully these are not private areas like you get on the continent. Packed full of beach umbrellas, marking off privately owned spaces. We're fortunate in that respect and long may it be so. Dr. Eastkey Britton is a marine social scientist whose work explores the relationship between people and nature, especially water environments. She is also a windsurfer, been five times Irish national champion, and has written a new book, providing 50 suggestions for things to do by the sea, to help people reconnect with the ocean and create special moments in their lives. 
Justin Marr has been talking to her and finding out what they are. Knowledge and wisdom of water as medicine has been there for millennia across human cultures and is very strong, of course, in indigenous cultures. But all throughout human history, uh, we've been drawn to the water, in particular for its healing qualities. Dr. Eski Britton has dedicated her work to ocean and human health, also known as blue health. The findings are supporting that these blue spaces, so the, particularly like the sea and coasts, are among the most restorative environments for humans, even more so than a lot of the so-called green spaces like parks and forests. Her new book is titled 50 Things to Do by the Sea and lists activities, ideas and fun facts to help strengthen our connection to the water around us and its many benefits. When we go into the water, it triggers this whole series of physiological responses in our body that are connected to that kind of, I suppose, our watery evolution. All land life having first evolved in the ancient ocean before we crawled out of the water. <laughs> so it has this effect called the mammalian dive response, for example. So when our face comes into contact with cold water, it slows our heart rate, as well as a mix of other responses. But that's kind of why it, has, it can have this calming effect and reduce things like stress and stress hormones. What we're finding too is that even in terms of say the neuroscience, even looking at the sea starts to alter our brain waves. So I just find it interesting, like you could look at waves, <laughs> actual ocean waves, <laughs> and they're altering your own brain waves, uh, the frequency of them, and, and puts us in this more meditative or calmer state. And I think why it's so important right now is that it, it also helps really restore the sense of presence and restore our attention. Uh, we live in this kind of attention economy, so to speak, where everything is vying for our attention. We're living increasingly through our screens and smartphones and indoors, responding to, you know, so many notifications and emails and everything's happening, coming at us very fast and instantaneously, which can feel overwhelming. But it also really fragments and distracts our focus and fatigues our brain, our mind, leading to a sense of exhaustion or even burnout. And so being by water, it really enhances that ability to hold our attention and focus um, in a really effortless way. Being by the sea, whether we're aware of it or not, has a beneficial impact on us. But if we can actually become more conscious and notice how we change or respond when we're in places like that, it can have an even more profound effect. So I suppose a part of writing the book was to share some of those ways to enhance that ability to connect uh, with something like the sea so that we can have a more mindful experience. So there's things in it like sound mapping, just these different sensory ways of connecting with with our environment. And that's one of the reasons why I think we're so drawn to the sea and its ability to heal is that it's a multi-sensory space. So it engages all of our senses. And I know it, certainly for me in my experience as a surfer, that definitely pulls me out of my head and into my body. And then I think when we, you know, we make that shift and we're in our bodies, we're also better able to heal too. In the past year, over a third of us have struggled with our mental health. As we start to emerge out of the shadow of the pandemic, reconnecting with the sea can help overcome the issues we face. Another huge thing we're, we're having to cope with and people are experiencing this in very different ways. I'm, I'm aware there's a huge spectrum of how we're impacted, but certainly we can also <laughs> we're experiencing a certain level of grief and loss, um, you know, very triggering emotions and just 
being by the water and why I think so many people are drawn to like things like sea swimming again and is that immersion in the water does several things uh, and I hear it again and again in interviews I've carried out is this feeling of being held by the water we can kind of float in it so it does feel like we're being held but also this ability to kind of cross the threshold from land into water into this other world so it's this ability to almost consciously leave behind a lot of that baggage we have from carrying around with us on our day-to-day and so there's this sense of release and that we can kind of almost release it into the water and then for a lot of people I've spoken to in particular women it's also an ability to I suppose be in a space where two things where we're fully seen and where we don't feel judged so it's it's just this really immersive experience when we're in the sea and it's just the ability to feel all of who we are that permission to feel everything we're feeling without judgment which you know in in the everyday right now we're having to self-censor and monitor so many of our behaviors and and how we move about and (laughs) And are seen in the world with, you know, having to be distanced and masked and everything else. So there's that incredible sense, I suppose, of being able to have that sense of release and freedom in the water. 50 Things to Do by the Sea is published by Pavilion Books and will be available in hardback from the 13th of May. It's great to hear from listeners, and you can do so by email to Maritime Ireland Radio Show at gmail.com. Anne Mead from Kilkenny inquires if I might know where she can find an abandoned boat. I have a child who would love to have a boat to play in. I've been looking, but have not got the time or connections to find one. Plus, we are landlocked in Kilkenny. And she suggests that abandoned boats could be used for children's play areas and public areas, garden projects, or on roadside roundabouts as decorations. I've seen them used on approaches to towns. Dungarvan in County Waterford is one location. On the way into Yall in County Cork, where this programme comes from, is another. Of course, Kilkenny does have its marine attractions. The rivers Barrow, Noor and Shore, known as the Three Sisters, flow through County Kilkenny. And there's the black water flowing through Mullinavad and Kilmacow. Any suggestions about abandoned boats? Welcome, but I think size in this regard does matter. Now to our coastal waters and the reappearance of the second largest fish in the world's oceans. Dr Simon Barrow, Chief Executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, joins me. That's very welcome and interesting news, Simon. Well, Tom, the first sightings this year of Levon Crawgrania, or the Great Fish of the Sun, are being reported to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. The basking shark is the second largest fish in the world's oceans. And the fact that, unlike most fish, you can irregularly see them on the surface makes them relatively easy to report to schemes like the Irish Well and Dolphin Group sighting scheme. The IWDG hold nearly 2,000 basking shark sighting records, which makes this the largest collection of basking shark sightings data in Ireland. Sightings can tell you when and where a shark occurs, but obviously only when it's on the surface. What happens below the surface was a mystery until recently. Telemetry data has shown a regular and reciprocal movement of sharks between Irish and UK waters in coastal hotspots 
and further afield, such as West Africa and the US. Not all sharks move inshore in the spring or disperse from coastal waters in the winter, with many individual sharks remaining in Irish coastal waters throughout the year. Genetic tagging has shown that some individual sharks occur multi-annually at or near the same location. Recent work by Emmett Johnson of the Irish Basking Shark Group has shown that basking sharks may spend up to 48% of their time on the surface at foraging hotspots during the day. Surfacing was not linked to the state of the tide, but was linked to global solar radiation and wind speed. They also surface more during daytime than at night. So basking sharks, or sunfish, do live up to their name by surfacing when the sun shines. Genetic studies have estimated that only 8 to 10,000 individuals occur worldwide, while other research suggests that the number of basking sharks in the Northeast Atlantic is unlikely to exceed 10,000 individuals. This suggests that Irish waters conservatively may host year-round in the range of 10 to 20% of the global basking shark population. The basking shark has a long historical association with coastal communities along the western seaboard of Ireland. Although it is no longer hunted in European waters, there is still a market for its fins in Asia, where it is targeted on the high seas. Basking sharks are still regularly bycaught in fishing nets, but it is illegal to, in the EU to land bycaught individuals for sale. Sharks are also struck by ships with about 1% of the population in Ireland presenting with evidence of collisions. Close quarters disturbance and harassment from boaters, jet skis, divers and snorkelers is regularly occurring during the summer months in hotspots off the Irish coast. The Irish Basking Shark Group suggests that the time is right to afford basking sharks legal protection under the Irish Wildlife Act. They are protected in the UK, including Northern Ireland, and around the Isle of Man. Protection within the 12 nautical miles by listing them on the fifth schedule of the Wildlife Act would assist in ensuring these wonderful animals from the deep are protected and ensure they continue to visit our waters for generations to come. Indeed, Simon, protecting species like this is very important. Thank you. Can you imagine that the Americas, Europe and Africa are being shoved around by the Atlantic Ocean? Scientists from the University of Southampton, who sailed and studied the widest part of the ocean between South America and Africa, that's a vast empty stretch known as the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, came to this conclusion after months of study. They based their findings on the movement of tectonic plates way below the surface in the area covering 15,000 nautical miles from the Arctic to the southern tip of Africa. The South American plates are, they said, moving away from the Eurasian and African tectonic plates so that the Atlantic Ocean is widening and shoving the continents around. It's not a big movement, mind you, about four centimetres less than two inches a year. Movements of another kind now, the lack of housing on our offshore islands, preventing island families from getting permanent housing on the islands. Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of the Islands Federation, Kogal in Naheran, has the background of this situation. Well, hello, Tom, from the lovely Mayo Island of Inishlyer. The main challenges facing islands were explored through several platforms in recent months. 
Work was initiated by Kogal and Cornelian participation in the Smart Islands project involving consultations and training where islanders from Ireland and Scotland worked together to gain information from networking and increase their skills as well as identify needs and goals of our islands. Members of Kogal with their colleagues in the European Small Islands Federation then ran a fringe workshop for the EU Rural Vision Week that concentrated on issues facing small islands throughout Europe. Islanders' main concern was the lack of available affordable housing. This was top of the list not only in Ireland but on many other European islands. Recently, Kogol, Ilonairn and Cornelan held an online workshop, Housing on Ireland's Islands. The attendance exceeded expectation, highlighting the seriousness of the lack of year-round affordable and suitable housing on most of the offshore islands. Several issues were prominent in the discussions. Most rental properties are available only for the off-season as owners can charge higher weekly rates during the summer. This creates insecurity for full-time residents, so much so that several families have had to give up their dream of staying on their island. Property prices are prohibitive and increasing as people look to the islands for holiday homes. The small number of houses for sale also contributes to high prices and those looking to build a home are confronted by many challenges, the chief of these being difficult and expensive planning procedures and high cost of material transport. Cost also impacts on the ability to renovate old or derelict properties, of which there are many on the islands. Community housing schemes should be investigated as well as creation of an island housing trust. It was the opinion of many that there has to be a national housing policy that can be realistically applied to the offshore islands. The number of holiday homes should be balanced with houses for full-time residents. Also, more efficient, smaller, and less invasive buildings to agree with environmental regulation will be less costly. It was agreed that a baseline inventory of dwellings currently on the islands and what the housing needs are must be done to know how to proceed. This work will begin as soon as possible. Now, the residents of Inishir have campaigned for improvements to their pier for 15 years plus, and they now have news to celebrate. Minister Heather Humphreys has announced that the case for pier works has been approved and the required works can now go to tender. Not only is nature playing a part in the wear and tear on the structure, but with increased tourism, the pier is no longer fit for purpose. Increased landing, embarking, and disembarking areas are badly needed as a matter of urgency. The importance of the pier to the community is recognized by Minister Humphreys, and she was delighted to approve the project. Kogalilanairn is eager to attract more input from younger island residents and is in the process of setting up an island youth forum. Creating sustainable islands involves all members of the community, therefore Kogal will be advertising news of this forum in the near future. So until then, it's Slawn from the Islands. Thanks, Rhoda, and that's good news about the pier on Inishir in the Aran Islands, a place I've enjoyed visiting many times. 
And so we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland radio show. Your views on the marine sphere are very welcome. Email to show at gmail.com. That's show at gmail.com. The programme and podcast comes from the historic coastal and maritime town of Yole on the East Cork coastline and CRY 104FM Yole. And it's also broadcast in Cork on Bear Island Radio, UCC Radio and West Cork FM. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Kilkenny City Radio. And in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet. On Southwest Clare Radio, Radio Kirk of Boschkeen, on West Limerick 102 FM, and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify, and themarinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the community of the sea, our maritime community. Our website is tommaxweenymarine.ie or look up Maritime Ireland Radio Show. And our email is Maritime Ireland Radio Show at gmail.com. That's Maritime Ireland Radio Show at gmail.com. Our phone and text number 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Sound supervision on the program by Justin Marr. Until our next program, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>